The Wonderful, stories from the International Space Station, this week on Planetary Radio. Welcome, I'm Matt Kaplan of the Planetary Society, with more of the human adventure across our solar system and beyond. There have been several documentaries about life aboard the ISS, but none I know of that have provided the deeply personal experiences and reflections you'll find in The Wonderful. The film's director, Claire Lewins, and one of its stars, astronaut Katie Coleman, will join us for a wonderful conversation. And there's another fun visit ahead with the Society's chief scientist. I hope you'll stay for What's Up with Bruce Betts. Once again, the biggest space story came too late for the September 17 edition of our free weekly newsletter, The Downlink. The Inspiration4 crew rode their Dragon capsule to a safe splashdown in the Atlantic Ocean on Saturday, September 18th. You'll hear Katie Coleman welcome these new space travelers to a club that is finally becoming a little less exclusive. As of last week, we were up to 4,516 confirmed exoplanets. NASA's test mission continues to rack up discoveries. The team behind the dedicated Planet Finder has created a sweeping montage of the southern sky that includes 208 of its individual images. You'll find it at planetary.org slash downlink. You can also read about the astronaut and cosmonaut whose stays aboard the ISS have just been extended. They've given their rides home to the Russian movie director and actor who will soon be shooting aboard the station. And NASA has awarded new lunar lander development contracts to five companies. They include some of the competitors for the big human landing system contract that went to SpaceX. The Wonderful Stories from the Space Station is available in theaters and everywhere on demand right now. I wish I'd seen it on a really big screen in a dark room with a lot of other space fans. It's not just the beautiful footage and music that make this a great film. It's it's really much more what the stars bring to the production. Those stars are an international selection of astronauts and cosmonauts that we spend intimate moments with on the ground and high overhead. You'll hear director Claire Lewins, astronaut Katie Coleman, and me talk about many of them, like Bill Shepard, the man who turned on the lights in the ISS, and Ron Guerin, who flew on Expedition 2728 with Katie and wrote The Orbital Perspective when he returned to Earth. There are also some who bid farewell to these space travelers and watch them pass overhead. They include Katie's artist husband, Josh. Claire, Katie, and I gathered online a few days ago. By the way, we only have time for a few excerpts from our conversation here. There's much more online at planetary.org slash radio, where you can also hear about South Korea's plans for a lunar orbiter. Claire Lewins, Katie Coleman, welcome, and uh, thank you for joining us on Planetary Radio. It is a pleasure to have you in front of our microphones, but it was also such a pleasure to see this uh, terrific film. So congratulations to both of you on that, and especially to you, Claire, the, the director of the film. It is quite an accomplishment. Well, thank you very much, Matthew, and thank you very much to your audience for supporting our film. Well, I hope they will, because it it definitely deserves to be seen. And I think that our audience in particular, a whole bunch of uh, space geeks out there, are going to love seeing this film. Uh, I'm going to start with something that is unrelated to, well, it is related to the film, but it's not addressed in the film. Katie, 
I didn't get to watch your live Netflix coverage last night as we speak of the Inspiration4 launch because I was co-hosting a launch party for the Explore Mars nonprofit, a sister group to the Planetary Society. I hope you had as much fun as we did. It was amazing. Basically being, you know, one of the people that gets to bring this launch to everybody really meant a lot to me. I, I just I watched them until they were they were just a little star and it just meant the world to me to be there. There are so many deeply memorable and personal moments in this film that you've created. Did you go into this project expecting that to the, the level of of sort of personal uh, emotion that uh, is is in almost every moment of the film. Well, when actually the producer, George Chignall, first came to me with the idea of doing a film about the space station, I said, no, this isn't for me. I know nothing about science. You know, as a little girl, I lay on the, the grass with my friends looking up at the stars. I never once, for a second, dreamt of actually leaving Earth. I mean, that's completely mad. You know, you look at the, you know, think of the lovely space and universe, to actually leave home and leave the planet. So I said, no, this isn't for me. And then I started looking into it. And then I, the thing that struck me first, and I, and I don't know how, where I was before not knowing this, but while the 7.5 billion of us are going about our everyday lives, there's six people off the planet in this outpost in space. And you're thinking, that is just extraordinary. And then so I started thinking about it and I was thinking, yes, it is this amazing um, scientific endeavour and collaboration and just a feat of engineering but that's not what interests me it's not the 450 tons of spaceship it's the human stories because for every person that goes up there there's a whole chain of people that get them up there every astronaut you know who's inspired by Gagarin or John Glenn or you know the cosmonauts so I thought for me it's really the human stories and all this played out against this vast amazing velvety backdrop of the universe so that's what interested me. It's those personal stories which are so very affecting. Katie, I have to mention, I'm a big fan of uh, The Chieftains and uh, Ian Anderson and Jethro Tull, and uh, I always get a kick. I watched it again last night of uh, your uh, flute floating into the frame before you joined uh, Ian Anderson for that wonderful uh, duet that the two of you did. <laughs> I'm very proud of that, actually. First of all, I'd I love that it's this collaboration between two people. I mean, I didn't know Ian Anderson. I, I did not meet him until I got home. And I, I think that I, I tell people in terms of being on a team and really being your best self, you have to be brave and you have to be open. And I think I had to be brave to ask him and, and you know, not necessarily, would you like me to bring your flute to space, but is there something we could do together that would really share this experience? And he came up with that doing this on board, of course, that the time was clicking down and suddenly, you know, by the time the idea was generated and we're going to do it, I really had exactly one lunchtime to make mm. this happen. And I am very proud to tell you that I, that it is one take of the flute floating down and playing and then another take of just playing the music again in case he needed more than that. And then I uncovered the cameras in the Japanese module <laughs> and started back to work. It's perfect. It, it, and there is that intersection of, uh, of art and science once again. I was surprised by my, by my own reaction several times. Uh, for example, watching the lights inside the International Space Station be switched on for the first time was very affecting. I remember talking to Bill Shepard about it and he wanted them to go ahead and turn it on first because it's a first ever expedition. 
And so that's why in the sequence, I, I thought of that young boy who was dreaming of being a cosmonaut. He turns off the light of the, of the sports way of playing football. And then next time you hear that music, they're turning on the lights of the space station. I thought it was kind of hmm. symbolic, really, of a sort of new era. Okay, you're opening my eyes and ears to other things, because I didn't even catch that in the film. The focus, of course, is on those of you who got to make that trip. Maybe, I think it's 400 people out of the 7 billion who've been able to get up there so far. Hopefully those numbers will... More like 600. 600, thank you. Okay. Uh, Still quite an imbalance there, one that hopefully in the coming years, as as a new age begins, uh, we're going to see start to balance out a little bit better. Uh, But Claire, I, I wonder, among these people, and they are special people who have been able to make the trip. Did you develop any any sense of um, what these men and women who've flown in space, what they have in common? Is there is there something that unites them? That's a very interesting question, actually, because I thought, when I first started, I thought these people have got to be much, much cleverer than the rest of us, and which they are, by the way. And they've got to be much braver than the rest of us, which they're certainly braver than me. Uh, I don't even like going in elevators. But um, but what I found, what it was, and I know it's in this time of COVID and all this sort of stress of it, the epidemic, what I found, and I found it really moving, was this incredible determination, this quiet determination just to keep going. And it's like with um, Peggy Whitson, I think she was rejected 10 times and she still kept going. And then, you know, now she's, you know, her nickname is a space ninja and she will be going <laughs> up again. So it's this whole thing of just quietly getting on with it. So that's one of the things I found. And they're also uh, incredibly dexterous. Like for, for some reason, I gave Samantha Cristoforetti a box when I first met her, which had a secret drawer. And I was about to explain to her where it was, and she'd already opened it. You know, as she was talking to me, she'd done that, and she'd done it. And I was thinking, wow. And, you know, they can hang upside down, you know. (laughs) So, I mean, I'm absolutely blown away by them, actually. And how lucky we are to have people like that who would risk everything just for sort of science and human exploration. I mean, we are, we, you know, they're, they're the pathfinders that go ahead for the rest of us, really. And looking at inspiration for, you know, Claire, you talk, you know, very, you know, I was, I was on the edge of my seat about whether you're going to say we're clever or not, right? <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but, um, but everybody brings something. And knowing that, I mean, the four people that are up there right now bring so much and so many with them. And, and so I'm, I'm just, I don't know, it really means a lot to me. Have you interviewed Ron Guerin? Ron was on the show quite a while back. Yes. And we yeah. did talk about this. Yeah. And he, yeah. He and I hosted last night together and just listening to him. I mean, he made a profound difference for me up on the station mm. of opening my world to more of a global view where mine had been more just my experience, the people that I knew, the communities I knew. And, and he really gave me a better feel for coming from the whole world. Well, shout out to Ron, uh, then. You also made me think of something uh, that is in the film that's said by Koichi Wakata, who quotes our founder at the Planetary Society, Carl Sagan, from his wonderful uh, pale blue dot speech. Uh, That's here, that's home, that's us. It wasn't quite a a dot for those of you just 200 miles or so overhead, but but I, I think it's appropriate. I loved seeing that 
In fact, I took a screenshot, Claire, <laughs> from my copy, really just for me. I mean, not to be sending out anywhere, but just for me, because it captured something that I very much feel when I'm up there. Claire, family seems to be another recurring theme. Uh, Sergei Volkov and his astronaut father, Alexander, watching Tim Peake's wife and kids at his launch, perhaps most affectingly, uh Katie's story that uh, I'm going to come back to in a moment, but I wonder, was that also a theme that you were hoping people would c catch on to? Well, it's as Katie was saying earlier, it's a human connections, really. For Katie to be able to go up into space or for Tim Peake to get, be able to get into space, he needs this, this is a family unit. What I found really moving, you know, in, from Kazakhstan, the families are all waving through glass, and then you have the fist bumps of the kids with Tim Peake. Then they get an email in space and Koichi's trying not to cry when he's talking to his son. And it's this whole space between the words, you know, that the fact that you may be 250 miles above Earth, but you've got this connection. That's to me was a really important. And that's what I was really thrilled about, about humanity, that we are connected like that. Katie, every review of The Wonderful that I've read so far mentions that that very touching scene when uh, your husband, Josh, and your son are standing under the stars and they watch you pass by overhead like a, like a wandering star. It is, it, it is one of those scenes that uh, I'll probably remember all my life. It meant a lot to me to watch the film when it was finished in that I, I didn't hear any of the interviews that Claire did with my son and my husband. And I know from my end, Claire asked me questions that no one had ever asked me. And, mm. and, I, and I just thought, this is going to be a very interesting and unusual film. But then when I got to actually see and hear our section and listen to my son and my husband talk about what it was like for them, it really just meant the world to me. It was actually hard for me. I mean, certainly I cried. And, and, and then we actually, we are all in different places now. And I have another son as well, a stepson. And uh, we all ended up in the same place and got, got to watch the movie again together. It was, we, we don't, you know, life gets busy and we don't go back and, and sort of always, you know, go back and think about what that meant to all of us. And it was really an important time when the film came out to do it together. I, I was also struck, I'm always struck by how many of you uh, on the ISS, in a sense, uh, create new families, even if they're temporary families, uh, just with your your companions uh, uh, on the space station. I, I think I saw this again with the Inspiration4 crew last night. Did you get that sense of family when you spent months, nearly six months uh, on the station? Absolutely. I mean, there, there's actually the space family, meaning anyone who you, you know is going to go to space who's selected to be an astronaut there there's a certain it, it makes you realize that you know there's a certain something that you have in common even if you're very different from that, from that person whether they are a billionaire or they are a person that bought a ticket on virgin galactic or there's someone who is flying science experiments on on blue origin there there is that connection and i think of it as a family and in fact, mm. you know, in, we don't have technical relationship with, with China in terms of discussing space technology, but we have an organization of the Association of Space Explorers, everyone who's been to space, of which now we have four more members as of last night, right? And, you know, within that family, we, we don't do, we, we talk about the things that are important to us about how we feel about 
being astronauts. And on a crew itself, there is something very special. And it meant a lot to me actually just last night to be co-hosting the, the Netflix time uh, live stream of, of the inspiration for launch with Ron, where we reminded each other of stories that we hadn't thought about. And we have a funny little thing that we say, I go, you know, I miss brushing my teeth with you. And <laughs> because it's small, but we used to brush our teeth in the same place that was right around the corner from the bathroom. It was, you know, you weren't taking up the bathroom, but there was a little place that we just made the sort of, you know, the kind of messy place. And we'd often, that's kind of where Ron and I started our day. And so I, I miss, I miss those times and we we'll always just have special relationships, even when we don't have so much in common or we don't get to see each other. There's always that sort of string between you because you shared something very, very special. And I think it's that human relationship part that gets you through that and helps you overcome the differences that you might have. We've already talked about your flute. I think you're well known for that. And then spending time uh, just looking down at Earth. It is actually incredibly busy up there. And when you talk about spare time, I think, well, I sort of practiced robotics in my spare time <laughs> and, <laughs> and, 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 well, and actually just getting the science experiments ready or, or talking with, you know, my, my, the, the, our crew about what those experiments meant or why so careful or exactly this way. So there's a lot of your spare time that gets used up that way, but you have to be a human up there. And for me, a big part of that was talking to my family which I did every day except for three. And then on the weekends, we would have video conferences. I have to tell you that in, in looking for film for Claire, you know, to have, I went back and looked at my family conferences and I only had really my viewpoint of what they were like when I'd call down, we'd have this video conference and then, you know, maybe it would have, you know, the, the connection would break. And there's always someone in Houston helping you with that. But what I got to see when I asked for the copies of these was video of my family. What happens when they don't see me anymore? And they don't realize that, you know, I'm actually, I mean, I, I'm not seeing them, but now in the after video, I'm getting to see their frustration with the connection and just what it's like to be trying to talk to your mom up on the space station when it looks like she's there, but then she went away. And those kind of frustrations of everyday life. Something that I think really kept us going was the stability of being able to talk literally on the phone. And mm. I'd learned from my training around the world, um, reading stories uh, with my son. And it doesn't, it was really about having a place to be together where we would just, we actually were reading Peter and the Star Catchers, which I think is a great series about, you know, beat the life before Peter Pan. And it, you know, has smart girls and smart boys and sword fights. And so getting to read stories to him and getting to spend that time together really meant the world to me. And it, I spent a lot of time every day actually doing that stuff. And that was really my choice to, to, to do. I need to let the two of you go. It is a very busy time, I know, with this film coming out. Uh, and I congratulate both of you again. I will close with just one more quote from one a review of the film from New Scientist. The story of success that is the space station leaves the viewer with hope that when working together, humans can do great things. Claire, Katie, thank you so much and uh, best of continued success. Thank you very much. No, I was just going to say that um, after listening to this, I realized that I need to watch the film about 40 more times. I mean, there's a, a fascinating <laughs> amount of depth, and I, I, I really loved every minute of this film. 
But oh it's God. interesting to think about all the different uh, things that Claire has put in there. It'll take me a while to learn. I don't think you need to watch it 40. Well, I a four. few more. A few more. Something to, something to look forward to. It's true. Uh, we better get out Beautiful. of here before Universal never lets me go to one of their movies again. Thank you again, both of you. This was great. Thanks, Thanks very much, Matt. Astronaut Katie Coleman and Claire Lewins, the director of the new documentary called The Wonderful, Stories from the Space Station. What's up is just a minute away. LightSail 2 made history with its launch and deployment in 2019, and it's still sailing. Hi, everyone. It's Bruce, Program Manager for the Planetary Society's LightSail program. Your support made this happen. Now we need help to continue the adventure. Gifts in support of our extended mission will be matched up to $25,000 by a generous society member. Details are at planetary.org slash S-A-I-L-O-N. That's planetary.org slash sail on. There's so much going on in the world of space science and exploration, and we're here to share it with you. Hi, I'm Sarah, Digital Community Manager for the Planetary Society. Want more space? We've got the latest news, pretty planetary pictures, and Planetary Society publications on our social media channels. You can find the Planetary Society on Instagram, Twitter, YouTube, and Facebook. I hope you'll like and subscribe so you never miss the next exciting update from the world of planetary science. You know what time it is, right? It's time for What's Up on Planetary Radio. Here is the chief scientist of the Planetary Society, Dr. Bruce Betts. And I have bad news that I have to share. What? I'm so scared. It's Mark Raymond. He brazenly ignored our ban on him entering the contest question that we're going to answer today. I don't know what to do. Huh. Well, we'll see the nature of the infraction and then... Well, let's move on, and uh, we'll come back to this grave, grave issue that you've raised. It's an infraction, uh, at least. Yeah. It's an, <laughs> there's a flag on the plane. <laughs> looking low in the west, we got Venus looking super bright and beautiful. And in uh, a little while, on October 9th, it'll be joined by the crescent moon very close to it. should make a magical pairing. We've also got the reddish star Antares, the brightest star in Scorpius, to its upper left. They will get closer and closer until they're pretty darn close in mid-October. So uh, you can look for that. And then over on the other side of the sky, well, almost, in the east, south, southeast, that really bright thing over there is Jupiter. And to its right, a yellowish, less bright thing is Saturn. So good evening skies continue. We move on to this week in space history. It was 2007 that the mission we'll talk about at the end of the show. Dawn was launched 14 years ago. And in 2014, seven years later, both the MAVEN mission and the Mars Orbiter mission went into orbit around Mars. Hmm. I'll come back to talking about Mars Orbiters too. And here is where Mark Raymond... Uh, may start to redeem himself. He let me know last week that this week marks the 20th anniversary of Deep Space One, his earlier ion-propelled spacecraft taking NASA's first close-up image of a comet nucleus, Comet Borelli. Yeah. On to... You want to take time to swallow that? Yeah. Um, mm, oh, that's tasty. Speaking of tasty, let me wash that down with a standard U.S.-sized <laughs> soda can. And, you know, I was thinking, 
If the volume of the earth fit inside a standard soda can, and I'm using the U.S. size 12 ounce 355 millimeter, milliliter, excuse me, if the earth could fit in was the size of that soda can, then to fit the volume of Jupiter, you'd need about two bathtubs worth of volume. And this is the kind of stuff that he talks about when you have lunch with him. And he's got a, you know, a can of soda in his hand. It makes for a lot of fun. It's fun stuff. It's sodas and bathtubs. What more do you need? <laughs> Maybe we should go on to the trivia contest. Go to RSF. Go ahead. I asked, what fuel did the Dawn spacecraft use for its ion engines? And, and in kilograms, how much of that fuel did they launch with? How'd we do, Matt, besides the infraction that you'll tell us about? <laughs> that I keep everybody in suspense of about. Uh, here's our poet laureate, Dave Fairchild. Don has got the ion engines, futuristic stuff indeed. When you travel out to series, constant thrust is what you need. Back in fuel and numbered kilos, four to five to be exact. Fill her up with xenon gases because this ship ain't coming back. Indeed, xenon 425 kilograms. Thank you, Dave, very much. Here is our winner, and he is a first-time winner, Andrew Grimes in Colorado, who uh, said, yeah, yeah, it was Xenon and 425 kilograms of it. Amazing. Uh, interplanetary spacecraft visiting Vesta N-Series. Congratulations, Andrew. You have won yourself a hardcover copy of that brand-new children's book, Leonardo's Fascinating World of Astronomy by astrophysicist Serafina Nance, illustrated by uh, Greg Paparaki. And it's a fun little book. It's very well designed and uh, should be fun for kids and grown-ups, I would say. Who is this Mark you speak of? Mark. Mark Raymond, you mean the chief engineer for mission operations and science at JPL, who is or was the chief engineer and mission director for Dawn, the spacecraft that we've been talking about? Yes, yes. Well, I mean, that's probably the Mark guy. That's the Mark I assumed you were talking about. That's the one. That's the one, the Rayman. Here, <laughs> he wrote about his ban, and I said, well, you can enter if you give us the number of atoms. So he did. We supplied Dawn with 1.95 times 10 to the 27th atoms of xenon before it embarked on its extraordinary extraterrestrial expedition. He says, it's so delightfully quaint that you asked for the answer in kilograms, and I could convert to kilograms if you really want, although you asked for the number in scientific notation. I'll also note that in SI units, that's 1950 yada atoms. <laughs> And I imagine most planetary radio listeners would agree, that's a heck of a lot of yada atoms. <laughs> that is. And can you imagine the person on the job to count those? Oh, yeah. Maybe they had one of those little Maxwell demons do the work for them. That. <laughs> uh, Mark also mentioned that this week, he I mentioned that 20th anniversary of Deep Space One, but he recommended his um, TED Talk, TEDx Talk, uh, that he called, if it isn't impossible, it isn't worth trying. And it's terrific. It's really fun to watch. And uh, we'll have the link on this week's show page at planetary.org slash radio. Wasn't that fun? That was fun. Should we have more fun? Yeah, please. Well, let me give another question. What currently functioning, currently functioning Mars orbiter has the longest orbital period? In other words, takes the longest time to go around Mars. Go to planetary.org slash radio contest. 
All right. You have until Wednesday, September 29th at 8 a.m. Pacific time to get us this answer. We're going to give away another rubber asteroid because I'm told that we still have a fair number in the box at headquarters. Yes. Uh, so uh, that that can be yours if you uh, come up with the right answer for this one and get chosen by random.org. We're done. All right, everybody. Go out there, look up in the night sky, and think about castles. Thank you. And good night. Castles in the sky. <laughs> That's uh, Bruce Betts. He's the chief scientist and the light sail program manager for the Planetary Society, and he joins us every week for What's Up. Planetary Radio is produced by the Planetary Society in Pasadena, California, and is made possible by its space-ready members. Mark Hilverda and Jason Davis are our associate producers. Josh Doyle composed our theme, which is arranged and performed by Peter Schlosser. Ad Astra.